Hello, and welcome to the Alchemy of Art podcast with your host, Addie Hirschton. Join us as we share folk tales and true stories about artists and the creative process. Our quote of the day is by John O'Donohue. He said, Though your destination is not clear, you can trust the promise of this opening, unfurl yourself into the grace of beginning that is one of your life's desires. Hello everyone, my name is Addie Hirshton. I'm a contemporary impressionist painter, art instructor, author, and public speaker. The purpose of this podcast is to share stories about art and the creative process to inspire you and help you move forward, and yes, in turn, help myself move forward and inspire me. <laughs> so on the show, I interview artists from a wide variety of mediums so that we can learn from each other's uh, processes and philosophy. Uh, today, I am not interviewing somebody else. I'm just going to be sharing my own thoughts, and um, we're going to talk about finding your painting style uh, and how your painting journey will develop over time. And to do that, I'm going to share some of my own story, which I haven't done before on the podcast. And then um, I'm going to ask you a couple questions, which will hopefully help you find direction in the future. Um, And I'm going to throw in the story of the hymn Amazing Grace um, as well. Okay, so announcements before I get to the meat of the program. Um, This Saturday, so just a couple days away, I've got a book launch party that's happening at my house in Indianapolis, Indiana. So that's June 24th, 2017. Um, And the party's going to take place at my house and my art studio will be open. So even if you've already bought the book, you can come and you can see my art studio and say hello. Um, And of course, you can find out the information about that um, and everything else I'm about to tell you about on my website, asyourfunnyart.com. So let's see here. So I've got new books that just came out. The Happy Kite, which is a children's book that's based very loosely (laughs) on a true story that happened to my daughter and I. And then, of course, The Alchemy of Painting, Developing Your Style and Purpose. Um, And that's a how-to painting guidebook that has a lot of prompts that are intended to help you find your style. And I'm going to talk about some of those things that you could do in this uh, podcast today. Um, What else I got going on? I've got... uh, I just started doing online classes. Um, So as many of you know, I'm a painter and uh, I started off with an online class that's a free one that's only going to be free and on there for a limited time. It's called How to Paint a Rose and in it you get to see me create a painting um, through video and it's done in fast time and I talk through how I Um, made the choices that I did to create that painting and um, hopefully it is inspiring to those of you who love flowers uh, just as I do and that is on alchemyofpainting.com 
also on alchemyofpainting.com. I just released the Flower Painting 101, which is like a bigger course. We go into um, studying medieval herbals, botanicals from the Renaissance. We create an impressionist flower painting. Um, it's, and I talk about the history of of painting a little bit and then we do five different paintings that are all inspired by different eras of art history and they're all florals so if you um, love flower painting or are interested in learning more about it you know just as of today how to paint a rose is free so definitely jump on that and get that and then the flower painting 101 is um, gonna be up there till the end of time and that uh, I hope that you enjoy them. Okay, so let's get into the meat of today. <laughs> finding your style, finding your path and your journey. Um, all right, so a lot of my students will come into the art classroom and where I teach um, at the Indianapolis Art Center and at different retreats that I do around the country, like, you know, it's, I'm working with adults. So I'll say to them, you know, okay, so you want to learn how to paint. What is it you want to paint? Do you know um, what style you're going to be striving for? Do you know what it is you want to say with painting? And oftentimes they're like, oh, I I don't know. I don't know what I want to do and say with this. I just felt inspired to come. And that is perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine to be at the beginning and just be like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what my drive is. I don't know what the, why I am called to do this, but I am. So here I am. Um, sometimes the reason why we're drawn to um, create art comes to us over time. Sometimes it takes years to um, figure it out. <laughs> And I think one complication is that, that we're oftentimes saying things with painting and, you know, and sculpture. And a, but these are visual, it's a visual language. Art is a visual language. So we're saying things visually that we can't say with words or that maybe are really hard to articulate with words. And... So consequently, you know, you might be really drawn to certain symbols um, and you don't quite know why, all of a sudden it might come to you. So for example, um, the past few years have been obsessed with painting flowers and I wasn't really sure why. At first I was like, well, I just want to get better at doing this. And to know that I have the control to do it well, so I practice and I practice and I practice till I can create something that looks super real if I want to. Um, but it's not so much about the challenge for me when I create these flower paintings. It's about um, celebrating the beauty of life. And, you know, you think about flowers, they usually only last a few days and then they're gone. So it's this lovely symbol of how luscious life is, how beautiful it is, and yet how fleeting it is. But it took me some time to figure that out. <clears throat> and my painting journey, if you will, 
the reasons that I've created artwork have changed drastically over time. And I talk about this a lot in my book, The Alchemy of Painting, um, in the introduction. But let me just share with you briefly some of the thoughts that I've had over the years and how things have progressed. When I first started painting when I was a teenager, I loved the Impressionists. I, I just thought their work was beautiful. But I ended up making a lot of abstract Expressionist type stuff where the reason I was making it was to um, you know, purge my inner demons. You know, if I was angry, I could just get out a bunch of red paint, paint, da da da, da and get my emotions out. It was very therapeutic, um, and I loved creating that stuff. Well, uh, after college, I ended up burning a bunch of my paintings, which I had created in college, and, and part of there, there were okay. <laughs> there were two reasons. One was because there was like a lot of negative energy that I was working through, and you know, um, anger and and things. It was like I. Those paintings, even when I looked at them anyway, I don't know about what other people felt if they looked at them. But when I felt when I looked at them, if I felt the anger again, you know, and I'd gotten to the point where it was like, oh, those things that I'd been working through, I wanted to just get over them. And I wanted to move past it. So that's one of the reasons why I burned them. Because it's like, I just don't want this stuff to be out there anymore. I I used painting as a way to, to work through it. Now those paintings are done. And I don't want them to be around anymore. We're going to burn them as a, a way of cleansing. right? Um, and I also felt... This is something I didn't talk about in my book, but I, I felt a little ashamed at th this small part of me that had created these paintings because I wanted for my ego to live on past when I was alive. So in other words, I would be making myself immortal by creating paintings that even after I'm dead and gone, will continue to, you know, be on the walls of people's homes or in a museum, and that this was like a way of preserving myself. <laughs> and, um, and I, I think that can be, you know, cr creating for the ego can be a little selfish, in that it's, you know, it's, it's for your own good that you're creating it, right? Um, but I also think that it's natural and that if you're one of those people who, like me, you know, just kind of noticed, huh, I've got a little bit of this egotistical side that just wants to um, live on and make this legacy, uh, <laughs> it's okay. It's okay if you've felt that I think we all want to live forever. <laughs> that, that's natural. But I think, too, that if that's the only reason why somebody started to create um, was for egotistical reasons, um, either just because they want to live past their lifetime or I just want attention on me, 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 if that's the only reason, then the work's going to fall flat and it, 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 nothing's gonna, it's, 
nothing's going to happen with it. It's not going to speak to anybody else if um, that's the only drive. But for most people, it's there's there's more of a reason, and it it's it takes time to find it. So anyway, back to my story. So I I had my paintings from college they were very abstract expressionists and I burned a bunch of them and I decided that I didn't want to do the rat race of the art world I didn't want to be trying to sell my paintings um, and uh, it actually had one bad experience with a gallery who um, I had created jewelry for them and then they quote lost it <laughs> and then claimed they never had it um, so they ba they basically sold my stuff and then r refused to acknowledge that they'd ever had it and it and it was really weird and that put a really bad taste in my mouth and I decided you know I yeah, screw this <laughs> no more no more um, and I became um, a librarian and I had worked in libraries all as a teenager so um, and I loved being a librarian but there was um, always um, a little tap on my shoulder you know my my soul would say yeah you, you want to paint you, you there's stuff you want to say and there's stuff you want to do and I, I just pushed all my creative energy into both making music I played the violin a lot and um, doing performance storytelling um, got really into that when I was in my 20s and then when I was 30, I had like a midlife crisis, like lots of things that I needed to work through. Um, and I had just had a kid and, you know, that's a whole other, that's a whole other story in itself, my, my midlife crisis. But, um, but I did find at the end that I, I needed to paint. I needed to, to to let things out, to say things, um, and now and I'm really glad that I started painting again at that time. I've met several different people who've come to me for art classes and who've who they just retired and they they tell me you know I've dreamed of painting for years, but I haven't yet. And then they have years and years and years of pent up things that need to be expressed and and it and they, they're like a, a kettle that's boiling over you know they got so much they want to say and they get overwhelmed by it um and so I'm I'm really glad that I picked up the paintbrush again because it it just enriches my life so much there you know sometimes I can let my emotions out with it sometimes I'm I'm th thoughtfully recreating more of what I want to see in the world um, oh, so much, so much. <laughs> so anyway, so, so when I started painting again, at first it was all, all my images were about, were about human relationships. So there would be lovers embracing, there were mothers holding their infants, um, and hindsight you know f five six years later when I looked back at a lot of those paintings I saw something that kind of shocked me <laughs> and that was that a lot of the images I had made of men and women the men were 
a, like higher up on the picture plane looking down and the women were looking up at them. And I didn't see that until like five years later and it was like, oh, oh, oh no, oh no. Um, <laughs> bad feminist, bad feminist. No, I mean, it just, but it sometimes the way we actually see things, see the world. It, so this was, you know, I'm seeing men as being higher up. They're, they're literally higher up on the picture plane of these paintings I created at that time. Um, and it took me years to be able to look back and see, oh, that's what I was, was part of what I was working through at the time, but I didn't realize when I was creating the images that I was almost reinforcing a, a negative structure that I don't want. <laughs> you know, I want to be equal with my partner. I don't want to have him higher up on a pedestal and me down low groveling. Um, and yet uh, it took some time and distance to be able to see that that was so ingrained that even though I was, I was with my midlife crisis, <laughs> working through some of those issues, it was still there. And it was uh, pushing its way into my paintings. So that's an example of, of how sometimes we'll, we'll create images, we'll be drawn to images. You know, maybe my flower images I've been making lately, I'll look back in 50 years and be like, oh, I can't believe I was so obsessed with those flowers for some reason, you know, because there might be a reason that's hidden that I just, ha I don't even see yet because we don't see the forest for the trees sometimes, right? After I made my uh, series of relationship paintings, then I got into doing um, plein air paintings, you know, going outside and communing with nature and you know, just, just allowing myself to sit and really look at what was in front of me and notice the subtle nuances of color and shapes. And I, I'm always surprised when I do this how I might just say to myself, oh, it's a tree, and just blah, blah, make a little blob. And then I look again, and that shape was actually quite differently than what I had assumed was there. So there's a lot of... Uh, you know, unlearning assumptions that goes along with planar painting. Um, and then that brings us to now when I've been so obsessed with flower painting. It's, it's hard to know what is going to happen next in my journey. You know, I started this podcast by uh, quoting John O'Donohue. He says, you know, though your destination is not clear, <laughs> you can trust in the promise of the opening and figuring out what is going to happen as life unfolds. Um, I'm paraphrasing there. You can listen back to the actual quote at the beginning. <laughs> but uh, uh, so I don't really know what's going to happen next in my own personal painting journey. I have a little nudge that I want to create more sacred images and I want to do it in an intuitive painting sort of a way where maybe I, I get large canvases, I start the painting without a plan, and then as I'm creating it, the vision of what I want to be creating comes to me, and I I work with this the sacred symbols that I already revere. Um, 
and when I say sacred symbols, you know, not necessarily religious symbols, but, you know, one that has creeped into several of my paintings is the image of a nest and, and how the nest is a bird's home and the eggs are the new life. And, but it's for me, a very sacred and beautiful symbol. And I want to work with that, um, moving away from the, uh, you know, tr striving to make things look real in the painting, but but working in a more symbolic way. So I've started that process. That's the nudge I feel myself. <laughs> that's that's where I feel myself being drawn in the future. But I don't know. I mean, it might it might change entirely, and that's okay. <clears throat> now let's talk about you. <laughs> when I say that's okay for myself, it's okay for you too. You know, you you might have just started and you have no frickin' idea why you want to paint or, or make your sculpture or whatever your art medium is, but you feel drawn to it. Just do it. Just create. You, it, things will, will unfold through time. But ask yourself this question. What is the drive that is pulling you to create something now, today? What is the drive that is pulling you to create something now, today? Okay. And then the second question is what has pulled you to create in the past? What has pulled you to create in the past? Maybe, like me, you've had several different drives. There was the uh, getting the emotions out drive. There was the showing uh, human relationships drives. There was the honoring nature drive. And then there's the sacred symbols drive. Like this is, you know, if I had to really simplify my 20-year painting journey down into... <laughs> just <laughs> a few uh, bullet points. Those are my bullet points, right? Can you do that for yourself? Um, and, and here's the real trick. And I again, I talk about this a lot in, in my book, The Alchemy of Painting, and ask you even more questions to help you answer this. But if you can figure out what your drive is, what it is now, what it's been in the past, what you think it's going to be in the future. If you can figure that drive out and if you can articulate it in words, it will help your artwork. It will help your artwork because if I can stand up here and I can say, I am driven to create artwork that is honoring the sacred circle of life. Let's say it's that. If I can say that, and I know that's my direction, then when I sit down to paint, oh, I've got some images in my head that are related to that vision. I, I have direction. I have a purpose. So Alison Stanfield, who wrote the book, oh gosh, what's it called? Um, I'd rather be in the studio. That's what it is. Um, it's a, it's an art business book uh, for people and she got she does workshops as well 
and she talks about creating an artist's statement and she feels it's really important. And I've done that a couple times. The reason she thinks making an artist's statement is important, I think is the same reason I'm telling you here. If you can figure out your drive, if you can write it down, if you can say, I create these paintings to, you know, express my inner turmoil, whatever, whatever it is, if you can say that on paper with your artist statement, you can say it out loud to me, then people will understand your artwork better. It'll give them a context and it will give you clarity, direction. Um, and of course, I've got to throw in there, just because you make an artist statement and you decide today my purpose is to honor nature, if tomorrow it becomes something totally different, that's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I feel like I've said that several times today. But, uh, you know, it, you want to be flexible because when you are flexible in your journey and you're, you're just be bopping along and you just go with the flow and you listen to your inner voice and you do things that you feel driven to do, that's when the exciting magic happens where you create something really innovative, something fresh, something new, something that's really true and something that's going to really speak to people and resonate with them. That magic happens when you're flexible and you're fluid with your purpose. Oh, okay. <laughs> I feel like I have to breathe. Like, oh, okay, yes, there's so much that I wanted to say with all of that. I want to end by sharing the story of Amazing Grace. So, <clears throat> the, the hymn, Amazing Grace, which, you know, I'm sure most of you have heard before it starts out amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm found was blind but now I see this hymn was written in 1773 by a guy named John Newton now John Newton was um, a British guy who had gone into the Navy at age 11 um, and then ended up quite quickly becoming a worker in the slave trade on ships taking slaves from Africa to the United States area. Um, actually, I shouldn't say the United States. I'm not sure about that. Um, but he was, you know, the whole cycle of going down to Africa and then up again, he was working on ships that were doing this. Um, apparently he experienced a lot of abuse and there were several, you know, times when he almost died of starvation. He, there was, you know, <laughs> being tossed at sea when there was a big storm. Um, and one time he had a, a revelation where he became um, a religious person because he almost died and then, you know, felt you know, he prayed to God and then he felt redeemed and he became um, a religious person after that. And when he was young in working in these ships and everything, he was a real, um, uh, I, I don't know, the impression is like he's a, 
a jokester and just a, you know, not a nice character. <laughs> when he later went to uh, get married, his the the woman he wanted to marry, that the family wasn't sure about him because he was uh, nefarious. <laughs> but um, at any rate, he he had had this ugly, ugly past, and then he moved to England and wrote hymns as part of his work as an Anglican priest. So he became a religious leader in his community. So he wrote the song Amazing Grace in 1773. And then like 10 years later in the 1780s, he became an abolitionist. An abolitionist, of course, somebody who was anti-slavery and became out very outspoken in that. Um, I should say that some folks are under the impression that the song Amazing Grace is about um, having been a slave trader and then um, seeing the light and seeing how wrong that was and then you know asking for redemption. Um, but it should be noted that, that John Newton was not yet an abolitionist when he wrote this song. But certainly that doesn't take away from how much in my own country, the United States, I feel that this song is really, um, through time, especially during the Second Great Awakening, uh, religious movements, was really embraced by people who, who were seeing the light and were seeing that slavery was, was wrong. And they embraced this song and it's, uh, very hopeful message of redemption and how you know we can all do wrong and we all sin in different ways but we can um, be redeemed lovely message and it's a beautiful song that I've uh, grown up with and have always loved but the reason I bring it up here today I've been talking about your journey and your style is twofold. One, I just think it's it's fascinating how this song changed over time. It's just one of those stories. I mean, if you, you go read about it, um, I used to have a book uh, belonged to my grandfather that was like a, the story of hymns, and it had all these different hymns, but that I really felt was the most interesting one, and in that it has altered over time. People have added certain phrases and words. It's changing. It's an organic, living, breathing thing. And you and your artwork is not, it's not set in stone. <laughs> I mean, even like this song, I mean, you can write a song and it, people are going to change it. People are going to give it different intonations. People are going to sing it differently, even if, even if, you know, on paper, it looks the same. And you need to be flexible and learn and grow and change. Apparently the first, one of the first times when they sang the song Amazing Grace, um, it didn't even have notes. They, they think that it was just chanted. And so it, it, we added those things over time. We added those beautiful notes. We added the rich meaning behind it. And also John Newton himself changed over time. You know, a lot of people, when they something has happened in their lives, like, oh, I was put into the role of this slave trader, 
they would just say, yep, that's me, and never question that, never um, move forward. And so just like he allowed himself to change and to grow, you want to allow yourself to change and grow with your artistic journey. And this is what I want for you. I want for you to be flexible enough that you can alter your path, grow, and learn. And in doing so, what I found happens is that you find yourself. You know, you're going to have these lovely aha moments. I've seen it happen with students so many times where they all of a sudden just realize, oh, that's why I'm creating this. Um, <laughs> um, and I, yeah, yeah, like my image of the men being up on the picture plane and the women down below. Oh my gosh. Like if I'd have seen that when I was making it, oh, I probably would have barfed. I would have been so upset because I was dealing with those same things, but then I didn't even see how it was still manifesting. It was still coming true in my artworks. I was, um, because, because really, um, when we create something, new and we put it on our wall we are creating our reality what's around us um and so it, it can be very powerful you want to be careful with it <laughs> but you know if you don't like the end result you can always burn it <laughs> so that's how i'll end today um this concludes our alchemy of art podcast for today may these stories about art and the creative process inspire you May you find your voice. You have been listening to the Alchemy of Art podcast. To find out more about Addie Hirshton and her work, go to azirfineart.com. That's A-Z-H-I-R-F-I-N-E-A-R-T dot com.